0: It is exactly 14 minutes after 7 o'clock on Metro FM Talk. This is our business wrap as we focus on some of the day's leading stories in the business world. Joining us this evening is Sinesipo Manindra, Chartered Accountant and Market Analyst. A very good evening to you, uh, Sinesipo. Good to have you with us tonight. Let's take a look and start off with uh, Tiger Brands. They're selling a minority interest in UAE Foods Nigeria. What's going on there? Why the large number of a companies, specifically South African companies, that seem to be exiting uh, you know what is really known as key markets on the continent, um Nigeria being being one of them, uh,
1: okay, so there's been quite a few companies and um, South African companies, I that have tried to conquer Nigeria on the basis of um high growth rates, um quite a high population, it is Africa's most populous nation, and how unfortunately they are very of being successful and um, They've been not successful for a multitude of reasons. Um, number one, primary um, business challenges. Number two, there's also been some issues with the regulator in terms of um, business operations and tax. We know the multi-choice fine. We remember when MTE was also fine. And for so them not just being able to just crack the market. So entirely around, this follows on, this, they decided to um, make Nigeria discontinued operation. And they're selling back their stake. Um, it's been 10 years, and the 10 years have not yielded results. And um, I forgot to mention a big thing has been the currency dev- devaluation and the issues around, um, or either, in other words, the difficulty in uh, repatriating uh, profits uh, from Nigeria to South Africa, to the South African whole entity. So it's been, just. It's, I think it's just been uh, one of those things where, all fees are just being paid left, right and centre.
0: So tell us a bit about UA, UAC Foods Nigeria.
1: Yeah, so UAC Foods um, is a Nigerian corporate. they they started a partnership uh, with um Tiger Brands. Uh, Tiger Brands bought 49 percent um share in the in the business. And they're they're basically what Tiger Brands is um, um in Nigeria. It, like, that's the best way I can explain it. So Um, They were, ideally, they're the, um, they do food processing. That's actually their business, I do food processing. And um, it it is um, a joint venture. It was a joint venture, but it's, uh, so they do snacks, beverages, and dairy products. Like I said, quite similar to Tiger Brands or Tiger Brands in Africa. However, it has just not worked out for Tiger Brands. This is on the back of the other transaction they concluded earlier on, which is the, the sale of the uh, flower facility, which they were in partnership uh, with uh, Mr. Dengoti.
0: So what what is Tiger Brand's strategy now moving forward? Are they going to perhaps uh, focus more on the domestic market um, and, and not so much on improving or increasing their footprint on the rest of the African continent?
1: Um, so I think, first of all, they, they're going to look at um, just focusing on concentrating the domestic market. Remember, there's also been challenges within the domestic market. You still have the Mr. Roy, um, um, Mr. Roy case. You also have um, the issue with the bees. So they've had a lot of headwinds. they face faced quite a few headwinds. And you still have those things hanging over them. And I think they have no choice back to sort of, um, you know, like take, take, take stock because both those things are ultimately, um, they very much um um a stick to their bottom line because they're all litigation matters which have um, class action, which have the ability to just result in quite severe penalties and, and takeouts. But again, the, the, I think when, when looking to enter a new market, it, 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 it doesn't always work out. And you, you think about the money that they um the purchase in Nigeria and you ask yourself why in the front of the here in Africa.
0: Mm. Let's move on now to, to discem uh, The founders of, of discem are selling uh, a, a number of shares and uh, 10% of the shares that they are, are selling are going to be going to Royal Buffer King Holdings um, and a consortium of, of BEE companies. Uh, tell us about what it is that perhaps necessitated the sale, uh, discem uh, getting rid of, of some of its shares to not only the Royal Buffalo King, but even to some of its executives.
1: Um, so it's literally just a family decision to to look at pa- a partial exit. So they did um, sort of they did sort of three things last week. They did um, there was a book build where they sold seven percent of um, the share price. Um, I mean the shares that they held. So the idea was for them they announced a couple of weeks ago that they're looking to um, decrease their shareholding in because they were still majority shareholder in and again from fifty one percent to uh, controlling. In, in um, controlling stake to a uh, significant minority stake, so we're going to do two things: and um, get the money off the table, which is the form of the book build, and um, then look at selling it to um, the new CEO who is taking over the prior CEO, who is the executive manager as well, and then also facilitating a uh, broad-based uh, black economic uh, part- partnership transaction with um, Royal Buffer King and a few other things members that that mainly um um vehicle capital and as well as glow, uh, glow um private equity and these are just some of the, the thoughts that they had in terms of looking to um and uh, looking to just, just 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 to restructure their own personal balance. sheet. So this is not company led, this is the largest shareholder.
0: So they really are lowering uh, their shareholding in the group um from around Above 50 percent, as it currently stands, to uh, around 31 uh, percent through a, a number of deals. That this is quite a lot, as, as far as letting go of of control for for the Saltzmans. Yeah. So
1: there's actually two aspects to it. So it's, it's number one, it's to also get rewarded for starting the business. So if they are, it's a it's, it's nine-figure payout. But also to also look at from a corporate governance perspective, having one shareholder exercise that much control tends to scare away other potential investors, and it doesn't work well from a corporate governance perspective. So that was part of the reason why they looked to do it in that way. They looked to do it in that way. So really, given, so look at themselves to 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 move because they they're not leading the business. They just don't want to be the majority shareholders, which is fair and. It does impact on the share price, the fact that they've got, they have a large um, controlling share, um, shareholding, um, and it, it makes sense why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I think ultimately the founders don't always have to be remain involved forever.
0: Mm. Let's look at the Royal Bafuking Holdings. They'll be getting a total of 6.63% um, from, from, from this deal of Discam. Is this a strategic move for them and, and how does this fare for Royal Buffalo King holdings uh, when you look at their their portfolio in, in general?
1: When you look at Royal Buffalo King uh, portfolio, I think this is the first and um, um a sort of health transaction in terms of this game being um health and um, a food drug um, retailer and it it's it sort of um it it, it it's a new perspective <laughs> It's new, but it it, it doesn't. Um, uh, they're more their biggest stakes are. If you think about their biggest stakes are mainly in the first rent banking group, as well as, um of course, we all know Royal Bank platinum uh Platinum. Uh, platinum. So they're looking at sort of doing that's what they were looking to actually do. Again, it's them um, diversifying their interests. And remember, it's ultimately this is a community business, scheme, so. Um, it, it's about um diversifying some of the interests and gaining different streams of income. This is a very, very good um business. Um very very good business, cash flow positive, very little debt. Uh, uh it, 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 it makes um, sense from that perspective.
0: And let's um, and, and how much do we know about Black Panther Consortium? Uh they'll be getting three point four two percent of of, of discam through this BEE uh, uh shareholding who are they who comprises Black Panther Consortium?
1: Um, I don't know why they call themselves Black Panther. I, like, I have no idea. So, they, I, so um, it's also it's Globe Cap and um, Parliament, which is a private equity house. Uh, private equity house. Uh, it also includes um, legal capital um, through their, uh, one of their divisions. Uh, one of their divisions, um, who's going to be the one facilitating the transaction, but it it it, it is quite interesting in terms of who they are and uh, from uh, the Mudimba family office. Um, it's 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 pretty much the usual place you would expect, um, and but it, it it's for them again. Like I said, it's a very this year is a very good business, and like I said, cash positive, very little debt. Um, not very volatile and I think with um definitely with COVID it's it's proven health has become um sort of gone from um, a defensive um what I would term um defensive to the I would um, I would now describe as uh, um, I would not, as growth.
0: Hmm. Let's move on to, to Sun International. They've released the interim results for six-month period ended 30th of June 2021. Yes, they are the unaudited results. But uh, talk us through those. What is noteworthy there?
1: Um, I think what is quite noteworthy is that, um, as you know, Sun International, the tourism sector as a concept, were extremely negatively to be effective, affected uh, by the... Um, by the COVID pandemic with the restrictions, but they they've made an incredible bounce back um, this year, um, mainly because of uh, like I would say two things: increase in um, gaming as well as online gaming. So, gaming in the term of um, they had an over fifty percent increase in gaming because there's a lot of um, gamblers, and also increase in the um, yeah, normal um, online gaming. So, it's it, it, it's been quite of a it's been quite a bit of a it's a mini turnaround but there's still, still 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 quite quite um quite a bit of um there's still quite a bit of um challenges. Um specifically with the um uh with the um um what's the word I'm looking for with the pandemic and any idea of a further lockdown.
0: So, where would most of the the losses um, come from? I guess the obvious ones there for Sun International would have been um, obviously accommodation with the restrictions as well with with travel. But how did their gaming portfolio perform? Ah, the gaming portfolio. So they had. Could you remember? They've got two
1: um, gaming portfolios. There's the there is the physical one, which is the casino. So the casino did. Um, if I look at the results, they did over an increase of 50%. Um, if you look at a year-on-year comparison between um, Jan to June, um, Jan to June, but also remember there was a lockdown last year from April onwards. So basically, uh, last year and um, they had about a, only a three-month trading period. So they had a 53% um, increase in the casino operations. The alternative gain means they had about um, a 97% increase, almost doubling again this shows the power of um, this new way of gaming because people ultimately remember, ultimately um, the accommodation is just there, but ultimately they get their main revenue from um, um, those who are addicted to gambling.
0: Mm -hmm. And those casinos actually contribute about 70% of of their earnings. So really um, a resilient uh, aspect of, of the business it's it's a pure addiction um,
1: um pure addiction i think i think sometimes we forget how we think of alcohol being um um very uh, addictive but gambling and that's where they make the cooperation. is also just it's, it's i would say i would say it's be more addictive
0: mm. let's talk about some of the costs savings that they have um introduced from management um perspective and and how that perhaps has influenced the results that we're seeing we're seeing now, how much impact did that have on them? Um, it, it,
1: it does have an impact, but ultimately, what drives the business growth is um top is top line so they had an over a hundred percent increase, and those are things where like they leaned out their soft company quite aggressively um they've also set to um sort of like right size their business for the, 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 the upper, uh, for the economy that they're in quite now. Um they've just been quite just just quite strict and like you just you, uh, managing costs, managing cash because you can see it in their um you can just see in their profitability. So if you look at keeping operations were negative the year before, then they're positive and again what a lowering of losses uh, from the hotel perspective and it's it's it, it, it literally you have to with everything with a fine tooth comb um, in terms of the savings and there's another say, so if you understand the quantum of the savings were about just over $615 mm. in the company's cost base, which is quite significant and it literally has been, they just basically leaned out and I think the reason why they leaned out is to exit quickly I mean, it was maybe because they wanted to sort of survive
0: what, What's quite sizable here to note is the group Debt uh, that was reduced from 11.1 billion um, as at uh, 30th of June 2020 to 7.6 billion. How did they manage to do this? Uh, I remember last year they
1: had a a rights offer. They also they had a rights offer as well as they did a sale. They disposed of one of their operations. So it's those two things. So they looked at they like I said they literally I think. When COVID happened, I think they, they took a more aggressive start because I think um, management was aware that uh, their industry is going to be lost in line because of social distancing. You know, for a fact. And a lot of, you know, the accommodation in, these, in some of their areas has always been driven to conferences and events. You no longer have that anymore. So they, they literally have to take a pen, cut everything that doesn't make sense without and, and and part of and doing the capital raise eh, was was and and those type of things. So you sort of um you prepare for war. You pick which assets you believe that will um will, will still be will still be worth 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 your investment time. And then you just um uh, you lean out your operations, and you hold out. And if you see um I think when you look at occupancy rates in hotel groups, um, notwithstanding the one we're discussing today, something national it has been in a perpetual uh, depressed level because ultimately people are not traveling for work. So there's been increasing leisure travel, but that alone does not the same business the because they depend a lot on business professional travel.
0: Let's focus a bit on uh, their online uh, businesses, SunBets, SunSlots. How have those performed, uh, specifically in the midst of COVID-19, when people at at some point, depending on the the level of the lockdown, had no other option but to stay at home and uh, get their gaming on online?
1: Yeah, so as we've come through the pandemic, sporting has continued, and in the SunBets, they do online sporting, um, um, online sporting, and, um although um, what has what happened is that although um, um, your um, sports have, was cut earlier and then has continued without the crowds, people are still very much addicted to the outcome. And it's it's it's, it's growing for me. I think this is a growth area, um, mainly because of two things. Um, the online gaming market in South Africa is quite small, but it is growing. It's, that it's more than doubling every year, and with people being essentially stuck at home, but still wanting to do some betting. Of course, it took a bit of a pain uh, when um, the initial, when sports wasn't being played. But as long as keep playing the sports and people making the bets, and because remember, you're allowed to make bets on both um, local, both local matches as well as international matches, so it doesn't. Um, uh, uh, doesn't actually make um, make sense now.
0: I must say, the opening up of the international sporting arena must have been a, a big boost um, for, for sports betting uh, for Sun International.
1: Yes, very much so. because um, Very much so, because I think that's what sort of the, the, the kicker. Um, a lot of people are not as interested, especially the market that's geared towards online, are more of the affluent, more above middle class, so they have very much vested, um, vested, um, vested interest in um, vested interest in international sports. So very much something that they're aligned to, something that they're interested in, and therefore that is what they looked to, um, um look to grow, to grow with. Mm.
0: Let, let, let's uh, change gears a, a moment and, and focus on, on China. Um, this time, not focusing on anything that's got to do. Uh, with the COVID-19 virus. But instead, China wants to add about 55 million urban jobs by 2025 and cap the unemployment rate at 5.5%. Tell us about the type of jobs that uh, they're wanting to to create and what it is that has necessitated uh, this move from China or at least them setting this particular goal for themselves.
1: Um, so they're looking um to focus more on highly skilled labour. So you know the Chinese economy was sort of built on the, the transformation of the trans- the Chinese economy was built on um unskilled labour. Now with technology moving towards the uh, in terms of the fourth industrial revolution, they have had to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, our current skills do not match um, the requisite skills. Basically, they have the same realization as Africa. But they are actively looking to address it. That is the only thing so the technology of course that means you have more higher skilled labor and you've just got to invest in your educational infrastructure, your educational infrastructure to match those jobs. So I think they're looking for the next um sort of um generation generational economic dominance by um addressing um the need of the world in technology being the technology skill perhaps it's not enough that you are um a big player technology wise you want to you want to own the value chain and collect the ip which is what technology is what's, um, so quite,
0: technology hmm. what's quite impressive about china is that they really are forecasting? They know that there's a shortage of of skilled workers. They know that you know high tech industries are the industries of of the future. And so putting together, um, the, you know, a, a skills uh, development and and reform plan which spans five years is actually quite forward thinking, uh, in their regard and making sure that they've got individuals who are able to take China to the next level.
1: Um, yes, um, it's quite innovative. And I think, when I, like, I think when we must always remember, it, 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 it's, it's, like I said, it's a similar problem that we have. Remember, South Africa has a high unemployment rate, which they've addressed through low-skilled labor, but they're thinking this is not going to be in existence in the next 20 years because of mechanization. Mechanization of operations and um, automation. So they're like, okay, what skills are they going to be in demand, and you sort of adjust your um, current input of um, job entrances to match the skills available in, in our country. Like I said, I make the example, I make a simple example. South Africa has a high unemployment rate, but also has a high skills shortage rate on specialised skills. Because of and um, when people, and it's always the comments that people make when they say, oh my God, government is, in, is importing um, is importing talent. We have, we have people here. And I'm like, yes, we do have people here, but they do not have the right skills. And that's just that and that. And and you've got to remember, you've got to, their education is great, but you need to get an education that can be absorbed within the economy. And it's, it's literally what they're looking to do. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, 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 it addressing, you're addressing and, and then capping it 5 to 5% five 5% five five five. be a dream in South Africa okay, Can can,
0: can you believe yeah. that an unemployment rate of 5.1% as you're saying, yeah, I, that would be an absolute
1: <laughs> dream, is a dream for us, so I don't even want us to even think about that, that But because I don't think it's the level of like I said, and remember China is a mini dictatorship and you mm, <laughs> And um, the unemployment problem has yet has never been solved. Um, has never been solved unfortunately um, through a democratic means. It's it's usually done in authoritative um leadership.
0: Hmm. That is a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> that is an entire yeah. uh, different, you know, a kettle to a kettle of fish to, to fry. And, and to contemplate on, but if we look at the unemployment rate though amongst youth age between 16 and 24, that's that's sitting at 15 percent. So it, it it really is about three times higher than the national, the national average. What would you attribute that to, and do you think that that is um, congruent with? Uh, the, the the type of skills that China needs, one would think that young people are perhaps more into issues, you know, technology and the, the the skills and the businesses of the future. Why why do you think that the unemployment rate among the sixteen to twenty four age group is as high as it is compared to the national average of five point one percent?
1: it literally is again again mm-hmm. having the skills the skills in the market the skills in the market not addressing not being able to be economically active. And um, it, 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 it's one of those things that they look to and um, address. And um, you, you, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to like cater to what the market requires.
0: It's got to be yes. a response to that in order to really have um, a sizable impact. Uh, Sinesipo, thank you so much. It's been awesome chatting to you and uh, mowing through the business stories of the day. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's uh, Sinesipo Maninjwa, CA and market analyst with our business wrap for this evening. It's exactly 38 minutes after 7 o'clock. We'll continue in just a moment as we focus on the Small um, Tourism Enterprise Association. Who are they? What do they do? Um, And and how do they hope to impact the tourism industry? Uh, We've just heard good news. At least good news for for Sun International, they've managed to reduce their debt sizably, managed to uh, enjoy profits in in some of of their sectors. But tourism in general still suffering in the country under the COVID-19 restrictions that are there. You'll know that many restaurants have closed down permanently.